Ronananian. In order to get to the battery, the battery's in the trunk. The trunk lock won't work because the battery's dead and the key's stuck in the ignition so you can't use the key. But every, everything is, that's the way it is. It's a high-end car. They never break, or so they say. The car doctor. You know what they call those lights, right? And I'm by no means idiot, am I saying yeah, I'm not saying you're that. <laughs> All right, but you know the, the the idiot lights. It really should be okay. You know this is this is this is telling you that in about two seconds the car is going to stop because the engine seized. You are a sad, strange little man. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, to infinity and beyond. Here's Ronnie. Hey! It's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Again, 855-560-9900 to take your call, answer your question, and help solve your car problem. What a week. Great week at the shop. Two nights of class, courtesy of the folks over at ATG, ATGtraining.com, ATGtraining.com. And um, just learning a whole bunch of things about hybrids, things you never want to know, but you got to. And uh, walked away with the conclusion that hybrids really are, wow, are they well-engineered. They're, they're a little over-engineered, and, you know, and good political arguments, too. A lot of the conversation in class was about, you know, why you don't see hybrids break in the same way that you see conventional gas engines break. And you don't see electric cars break in the way that you don't see conventional gasoline cars break as well. You know, electric and hybrid, when you think about it, they're in their infancy, the technology, and they've been doing very, very well. And it's very different than when gasoline cars burst onto the scene 120-some-odd years ago, in that, you know, if, if you made the corner store, you know, or around the corner, it was you were doing well. And a lot of the reason and rationale has to do with, it seems, that you, the public, you're very... You're picky, okay? You're fussy. And if it got out that your hybrid kept breaking or your electric car kept breaking, you're going to stop buying them, and thus ends the future. And it's what I've always been saying. The reason they make cars the way they do is because you keep buying them. So if you want to change something, you know what you got to do. But it's, um, it's clearly a case that the hybrids are well-engineered. The technology is quite interesting. Uh, the changes, the things that they're doing to it, and the way that they're changing the propulsion systems around, and what you have to stop and look at, and how they're going to work it. Um, I still maintain, I think the hybrids are a stopgap measure. I think eventually in time everything will be all electric, um, or maybe something else. But the conversations that you and I have had over the years about natural gas and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles is is not going to happen anytime soon because of the infrastructure. And I, I've said that for years, and you've agreed with me, I think, that you know, the, the, to put together an infrastructure that would support uh, such a method of refueling a vehicle, such as natural gas or hydrogen fuel cell, is just too costly. So it's not going to happen. Anyway, more information about this radio show, you can find us out at cardoctorshow.com as we kick this hour of the Car Doctor off. And uh, like I said, 855-560-9900 is the phone number to get in and give us a call and talk to us about your car problem. This hour next, in honor of Father's Day, 
which I happen to be one, you know, I want to recognize that. Happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there. It's like, boy, hot dog we got to this point, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and if you're, if, if you're an older father and you get to sit back tomorrow and you don't have to chase the kids around the barbecue while you're barbecuing, more power to you. My kids, my kids really understand me. They're older now. And um, they just sent me a box of meat. So tomorrow all I have to do is go out to the barbecue, fire up the egg. I have one of those big green eggs and, um, you know, cook up my brisket and my ribs. And they even did it right because none of them live close to home. So all the meat's for me. Um, so it'll be a real happy Father's Day. I get to clean the box. Uh, this hour, I'm going to give away a copy of Richard McCann, Classic Car Adventures. We've been talking about Richard and uh, some of his adventures. And it's a compilation. It's a book. It's a compilation of, you know, different things, different experiences, people's views of cars. Um, from a British perspective, I must say, uh, Richard is from, is, is from Merry Old England, and um, we enjoy talking with him from time to time. And um, his emails obviously come in, but he's written a book, a book, Richard McCann, Classic Car Adventures. We'll give away a couple of copies of that today um, as the calls permit, and decisions of uh, Tom and Mike will be uh, final. I almost said Tom and Tony. Gee, Tony must be on my mind this today. I don't know why. I wonder. I hope he's okay. Um, I want to tell you a story about this Toyota before we, before we really kick the garage doors open and, 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 and give you a taste of diagnostics is really what it's about. So a, 20, a 2009 Toyota Venza, uh, which is, you know, sort of like their, it was a hybrid, not a hybrid, it was a Highlander, I got hybrid on the brain, it was a Highlander um, uh, forerunner in between SUV type thing. Um, I don't even know if they still make them, I don't know if they make Venzas anymore, I haven't seen them as, now that I think about it, but it was a Toyota, it was a decent sized vehicle, four door, and it came in with ABS traction control and vehicle stability control lights on. And, you know, lit up like a Christmas tree. And if you notice that you'll see that on a lot of your cars, and, and, and rightfully so, a lot of you panic, which you should. It's telling you that there's a fault in a system somewhere. It's not to be ignored. And the customer, being smart, brought it in and said, hey, you know, something's going on. It's, it's, it's disabled uh, traction control. It's got all these warning lights on, and the car's making these funny clicking sounds, which it was. The brakes were, uh, the ABS controller was doing some funky things. And when I scanned it, sat down and diagnosed it and scanned it, it had multiple fault codes. Now listen, this is the key thing to be aware of. It had a fault code for a left rear ABS sensor performance fault, meaning it didn't like what it saw as far as the left rear sensor was operating. It had a fault for the yaw sensor. Yaw is the pitch of the vehicle, front, back. Think of yaw the boat. You know, is the nose up, is the nose down, so, so forth and, so, so for and sideways. Um, you know, which way is the angle of the vehicle? Is it correct for what it's seeing? It had a fault code for a right rear ABS circuit fault, sensor circuit fault. Where do you start? Always look at the circuit fault. Well, actually... The right answer is, we had multiple codes, wrote everything down, and this is an ABS. There isn't a lot of data that I can go back and look at, so there's nothing wrong with it. Clear codes, what comes back? After five minutes, everything comes back. So at least you know when and how everything started. If this was a check engine light, I would not be so likely to clear multiple codes like that because there's a lot of information in freeze frame and other places that I would want to go look at. But this being ABS, brake and traction control, it's okay. Always start with the circuit fault, right? A circuit fault will occur when you turn the key on and the vehicle doesn't move. And I prove that by clearing the codes again, starting it up, not moving, and the circuit fault came back right away. 
A circuit fault is the computer's way of testing the circuit. It's looking for electrical continuity, going out on its pin on the one leg, going across the sensor, coming back on the on the other leg into the into the anti-lock brake controller, whatever the module is, and it passes that test. This car failed that sensor, that circuit. As soon as I started to drive 3, 4, 7, 10, 20 miles an hour, it picked up the yaw rate fault and it picked up the left rear sensor as a fault. But it was left rear sensor performance, not circuit. I graphed all four sensors. I took out a scan tool, set up a set up a scan tool so that I could graph the movement of all four sensors. And a wheel speed sensor, it'll look like um, it'll look like a ticker on the stock market. It's climbing, it's climbing, it's climbing. Your speed is accelerating. Your speed slows down. It falls, it falls, it falls. It climbs, it climbs, it climbs. It's a wave. It's a it's a constant motion and arc in relation to the speed of the tire, in relation to the speed of the vehicle. Well. Of the four sensors, left front, right front, right rear, left rear, the right rear looked like um, a, a heart monitor that the heart wasn't pumping anymore. It was just flatlined. Everything else was moving. The left rear sensor showed fine. There was nothing wrong with it. Went through a fault test on the right rear sensor. Um, did ohms, which I'm not real crazy about. But I went through a bias voltage test. The bias voltage test will, you're looking to see what voltage is on the circuit being sent out by the anti-lock brake controller in this case. And naturally, I went to the left rear first. What voltage should I see on the sensor that's putting out? When I found that voltage, I went over to the right side, and I found the exact same voltage. So I know that the controller, the circuit itself is good. I know that the voltage is there. It's just that I need a sensor. Now I look at my ohm test, and there was there was enough of a difference. It was 600 million ohms versus 400 million ohms. And it was enough of a difference that, okay, let's put a sensor in the car. Put a sensor in the car, and yes, it fixed it. And that was the only thing wrong with the car. It was only one sensor for three fault codes, three fault codes that had only separate relationships to individual other parts. You don't need to have a parts explosion. You don't need to use a parts shotgun to fix cars. You just have to think a little bit, all right? Sometimes you need to prove what's bad. You need to, you know, what can you test out of the three components, a yaw rate sensor, a left rear sensor, and a right rear sensor? The right rear was the easiest one to prove because of the type of code that it was. It was a circuit fault, not a performance fault. My theory is that the reason the left rear was setting a fault code was that somewhere along the way, the computer was comparing left and right and didn't like what it saw, and I'd be willing to bet there's a software update to correct its logic and its way of thinking that if the right rear goes out, it doesn't affect the way the left rear is judged. But in this case, it didn't matter. Putting a right rear sensor in the car fixed it, and looking at it, and your takeaway from this, and most important thing is if you're trying to fix something like this, is read the code. What's the description? A circuit fault takes precedent over a performance fault. Fix the circuit fault first. I'm Ron Anany in the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We'll be back to open the garage doors right after this. It's the little old lady from Pasadena. He drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Gary in Maine, 08 Hyundai. Gary, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, good afternoon. Thank yes, you sir. very much for very taking the call. Very welcome. Uh, and I'm probably like most people. Uh, I have a Hyundai Azera 
2008 Limited, very low mileage, 52,000 miles, uh, very sweet vehicle, uh, literally was owned by a little old lady. Uh, what I've got going on, and I just got it back out of the shop Friday, so I don't even know if I'm fixed yet. But I, we had been on vacation for a week or 10 days, and the car had been in the garage, which is heated. Uh, and when we come back, I started the car up, went to go somewhere with it, and it rattled and clanged, and it gave the impression of old school as if there was an automatic choke stuck. Okay. Uh, very, very bad set of skipping, and it wouldn't clear with trying to clear the throttle. Uh, turned the car off uh, and found that utter, utterly amazing because the car had given no signs or whatsoever of any problems. Simply turned it off and uh, waited a couple of minutes and went out and started it again, and it was fine. Okay. Uh, so I, while it was running good, I quickly drove it into probably six or seven miles into the shop and packed it and said it needs fixing for some reason or other. Of course, when you started it up, it was uh, from the end of the shop, it was proverbial go to the dentist i don't have a toothache anymore it purred like a kitten they put the computer on it and it showed the code and i don't know what the code was i never did see it but it they were it came back with it's the number three coil okay uh, so of course to fix it for that is you tear the intake manifold off and you put a new coil in it well we put one three and five in it aftermarket coils because it's so much work to replace one. Right, sure, and absolutely, put, yeah. And put new plugs in at the same time, because okay. the plugs were all fouled up. Okay. And and everybody was happy, and we went away until two or three days later and did the same thing. And it progressively uh, continued to have a mind of its own. You'd start it up. It might bother. Uh, in the custody check engine light would come on. You shut it completely off, count to 30 or 40, start it up, and it was perfectly fine. And I do mean... You could have a full glass of water, and it and it would hardly show a vibration in the was glass. It, was it still showing a misfire or, or a on miss the, on cil cylinder three? Yes. So it's, it still comes back to the same cylinder? Yes. Okay. All right. And the summation was, well, we must have got a bad aftermarket coil, or we need a uh, Hyundai coil rather than that one, because the plug was obviously brand new and everything else. So... Then we chased it further down the road. We had that coil probably six, uh, I'm sorry, that code six or eight times. On cylinder uh, three? On number three, okay. even with that new coil in it. Uh, I was quite adamant that I don't believe it's a coil in the first place. Right. Uh, it's something else. I just don't know what. And it's not the spark plug because that's brand new. Right. Well, Hyundai Service, their protocol is... When you have something like that, you take it back apart and you move coil three to one, and one to yeah, and three. Yeah, so that and that's and that's what everybody does, Gary. I mean, that's not unusual. That's and that's what you're doing is you're you're splitting it up and set, you know, taking things and separating it. You move the coil to a, a different cylinder. You move the plug to a different cylinder, and I, I bet what ended up happening was you still had a misfire on cylinder three. And that I haven't proven yet. We've moved all that stuff because I was balking against spending all the money taking it all back apart and doing this again and, and was questioning, well, how do we know it's not an injector? Right. How, where does number three coil, where does it get its information? Right. Where, where I don't ever believe it was ever number three coil in the first place. The what? chances or the likelihood of getting putting a brand new coil in it on one, three, and five, even if it was aftermarket, for a number three coil to come up again, that you got one of the three million defective, one in three million defective ones, 
not very likely. But now here, look so, at. But now think about this, though. And I know where you're going, and I get where you're coming from. So, you know, the logic the shop is using as far as you know taking the intake manifold apart. If they took the intake manifold apart, spread the coil and the plug apart, and put it into different cylinders and put it back together, and then the fold came back to cylinder three, would you have been annoyed with that, or would you have been? Would you have been happy that at least it was attempted to be diagnosed first before they started changing parts? And I'm just curious for an answer. I'd, I'd have been happy with that. Okay. So, uh, and the re reason I say that is I'm old school mechanic. Uh, because the computer says it's number three. Well, is it the injector? Uh, it's not the spark plug because we put a brand new spark plug. So well, the likelihood, again, of getting a bad plug is I mean, it's just astronomical. Well, I'll tell you uh, what, though. It's astronomical, but on West Prospect Street in Waldeck, New Jersey, it seems to happen a lot. I gotta tell you, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I know where you're coming from. Listen, the, the the question is this, all right? Is this your regular mechanic doing the car? I mean, you've you've worked with this guy before. Yes, okay. I've had it at the Hyundai dealership, and I know them personally. And I've also had it at a Cracker Jack mechanic here, where I bought the car. Okay, uh, he's very, very good. Okay, and and so far nobody's been able to resolve it. I don't know that yet because I just got the car back out. They tore the intake manifold off again, all new gaskets, all that stuff, another 400 bucks. Uh, they moved the plugs just because they had it up at. I told them, asked them, please repl replace the injector on that because, as I understand it, the computer doesn't know the difference between it was the coil, it was the spark plug, no, it, it was doesn't. the injector, it was right. barely. If, if you look at a description of the code, the code says misfire. It never says ignition, or it never says coil. It says misfire in that case. It's probably, it most likely was a P0303, which is a misfire on cylinder three. And it's not a case of, it's just, it's, it's, it's not actually pointing towards the coil. Gary, sit tight for a minute. Let me, let me pull over and take this pause, and we'll finish up when I come back. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're talking with Gary in Maine. Gary, you're still there, sir. Oh, wait, Hyundai. Yes, sir, Hyundai. I am. So what I want to be clear is, and let's, you know what, however the mechanic handled it, he handled it. It sounds like he was trying to do his job, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to defend him nor criticize him. I just, you know what, it's always easy when you're sitting in the chair after the fact to say woulda, coulda, shoulda. So let's let's talk about fixing the car because I think in the end what's going to happen is you're going to go and talk to this mechanic. He's your regular mechanic, and you know what? He'll make some amends. You'll make some amends, and you'll both walk away having learned from the experience. And that's what that's what cars are today. It's it's every time you work on one with something like this, it's an experience. It's an intermittent fault that happens, you know, once every third Tuesday on a blue moon. What I what I want to be sure to get to you is as far as information is a couple of things. One. 
Um, again, I don't want to criticize anybody. Did he check all engine grounds? The ground at the negative cable coming off the battery and any grounds around the back of the intake manifold or side of the cylinder head. All the grounds on cars today are critical. Hyundai seem to have problems with them because I'm thinking about your comment that the car sat for 10 days. What changed in that 10 days? Did something rust? Is, 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 there, is there the possibility that, well, you said it was a heated garage, but, uh, you know, things stay dormant and funny things occur. Houses that sit empty and cars that sit unused do funny things. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and that may you may have hit on something because that I've had several occasions during this whole thing of chasing that, that code around, uh, and currently it's bothered three times today. Right. I had a couple of instances where I went to start the car and accessories worked and, t- and it worked and Everything worked until you get over into the ignition part of it, and it was as if there was zero ground or zero power. Right. It just took the lights out on the dash and did nothing. And then all of a sudden they came back. And if you held it, it it came and started. Right. And now today it's done it, and it did that very, very intermittently. So I couldn't even tell, well, shoot, did I just turn the key too fast? What did I do? Right, yeah. But it, it would it, always start. It, so it, today, it, though, it's done it four times, put it to that ignition, and it just acts as if you're just not even there. Right. It's 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 sort of a stutter, and it kind of happens so fast. You're looking and going, "Did that really happen? Wait a minute. Yeah, that happened. What happened?" Um, exactly. Yeah. So you know, obviously, clean battery terminals, um, a, a very good battery test, and I and I can't stress this enough that every diagnosis today really needs to begin with a load test on the battery to see what cold cranking amps are and reserve capacity. One of the tests that we do for reserve capacity capacity, one of the easiest things to do is leave the ignition key on, open the door, and five minutes later, you better be able to start the car. All right, just a general rule of thumb. There is no other test that I know of for reserve capacity, but you just want to see what the reserve rate is, if, if, if there's a it drain a on brand the car. New, yeah. It has a brand new battery. In well, it. just remember, new doesn't mean good. New means never, ever worked. You know that. All right, so let's, yeah. let's, let's get over that. That's like the new spark plug. New just means that, well, we put a new plug in it. We don't know if it worked yet. The car's not fixed. Correct. But let's look at battery. Let's look at terminals, you know, connections. Let's look at the ground side. And just for giggles, let's look down at the where, the where the positive cable goes and make sure that's all good, clean, and tight. Let's look around the back of the intake for clean connections. Let's look around the cylinder head. Do we have good grounds? That's all. We just, you know, wiggle jiggle. Yes, you're on, I, think, I think you're on the right idea that, you know, this obviously isn't ignition because it never says ignition. It says misfire. It says there's a problem with number three. Um, one of the uglier things I've seen with 08 Hyundai Azeras, as a matter of fact, is I've run into three cars with bad wiring harnesses, where the harnesses themselves have issues laying across the, laying across the valve cover, the part that feeds into the injector. It's not common. It's kind of hard to find. You have to sort of manipulate the harness while the vehicle is running to see if there's any change. But, you know, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Last has anybody looked at or considered any software updates as far as uh, for the PCM? I had the Hyundai Garage check that because I wouldn't know. It, and that's what I have you. Is it supposed to have anything on that computer? Right. Uh, well, and, yeah, there'll they'll be, they'll be you know, um, software updates. And there was a couple, if I recall correctly, a few years back that with regard to the way the vehicle, this particular vehicle, its strategy for detecting misfires, 
some of the operating parameters were a little outside the scope of what they needed to be, and Hyundai made some changes with the software update. So as, as long as it's got current software, we can just cross it off the list. We don't need to know what's in the update. We just want to make sure that it's been done and that it's got the most current level of software available to it. You know, After that, yeah, then we're going to start to talk about injectors. Uh, I, I've never seen an intermittent mechanical fault. I don't want to say never. I've been fixing cars so long I forget sometimes. But you know, it's not It's not a problem. Maybe I've seen it once or twice. Actually, I take that back. I did see it twice. Once I can remember specifically, it was a small block Chevy that had a dual valve spring, and the spring would wind up and release and wind up and release on the intake valve, and it would make a misfire on one cylinder as the engine was running, and that was an intermittent misfire. Of course, we didn't have codes on cars then. It was an older car, but the idea would have still been the same. So I think you're chasing injector at that point if you eliminate all these other things. And yeah, well, the ahead. confusing part to me was if it was a coil, I could not comprehend my old school mechanics, me simply shutting the car off, waiting 30 seconds or less or more, start the car, and it's absolutely fine. Well, here's why. I'll, I'll put that to rest. Hyundai has a misfire strategy, and I believe it exists on this car too, that if it detects a miss, it's actually going to shut down the injector. All right, If it detects a miss on a cylinder, it'll kill fuel going into that cylinder so that you don't overload the catalytic converter. And when you start the car back up, if the miss, if the miss is gone, it's because it reset itself in a sense. All right, That now when you go to restart it, when you go to restart it, if the miss isn't there cranking or on startup, it will allow that injector to continue to fire. You understand what I'm saying? So yep, it's it's, I do. it's so that that could be you know that act tells me that the computer accurately saw a misfire and you're doing a reset, and that's exactly what it's doing. So um, you know that's that's a possibility. But have them go through those things that we just talked about, and let's see what let's see what that does as far as uh, solving it for you. And if it doesn't, you give me a call back next week, and we can talk about it some more. All right, sir. We will do, and I appreciate your help. All right, listen, Gary, stay on the phone because Tom wants to get your information. Dr. Richard McCann wrote Classic Car Adventures, Old Car Tales from Enthusiasts, Bentleys, Bugattis, Cortinas, Datsuns, Ferraris, MGs, and more. We're going to send this book out to you. And um, if it's applicable, sir, happy Father's Day, and you enjoy the rest of the weekend. Stay on the line. Tom wants to get your information, and uh, we'll take it from there. Uh, this segment of The Car Doctor, by the way, is brought to you by the folks over at Omnicraft, omnicraftautoparts.com. Keep in mind that if you're like if you're like Gary from Maine, who's got a a Hyundai, um, you know, or or any other vehicle other than a Ford product, you know, Omnicraft Auto Parts is has the ability. They offer you know auto parts for um, you know maintenance and light repairs, including filters, brake pads, rotors, calipers, struts, and more. So you're familiar with Motocraft, right? You guys have all heard about Motocraft parts for decades now. Well, Omnicraft is backed by Ford. Omnicraft provides part solutions for non-Ford Lincoln vehicles. Omnicraft parts are available at FordParts.com, or you can check them out online at OmnicraftAutoParts.com. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor. Let's get over to Carl in Illinois, 02 Chevy Silverado. Yes, Carl, how can I help? Um, hi, it's Paul. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, No problem. It's a 2002 Chevy Silverado 2500. It's not an HD. It's just a regular 2500. Okay. It's a regular cab, right. long bed, right. two-wheel drive, right. has a six-liter gas motor, a 4L80E transmission, 
and a 4.1 rear axle. Okay. Uh, up, up until recently, the biggest thing I've towed with it has been a car trailer that probably weighed about 6,000 pounds and never had any issues. Um, we just recently purchased a smaller fifth-wheel trailer that, according to the sticker weights on the trailer, the gross weight of that trailer is 10,200, and the empty weight's about 7,600 pounds. But I have not pulled it across the scale to know how realistic those numbers are. But the uh, the specs, looking in the owner's manual of the truck, the gross weight, towing weight of the trailer should be 10,500, and the uh, gross combined weight rating is 16,000. Well, I've tried to tow this trailer twice, and both times I've gotten about 20 or 25 miles down the road, and the transmission temperature is staying fine, but the engine, the, the uh, engine coolant temperature is going through the roof. So I've had it towed home twice. Well, actually, the first time I had the trailer towed back, and I let the truck cool off for a couple hours, and I drove it home without the trailer about 80 miles and didn't have any issues. Um, my mechanic has looked at it, and the last thing that they did is they changed the thermostat out from a 190-degree to a 160-degree thermostat. Right. But I don't know if that's going to help. I'm almost at the point where I don't really trust that this truck is really capable of pulling that trailer. And and I'm 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 gonna have to be in agreement with you. You know, changing from the 190 to the 160, the problem's going to be that when the trailer's not on there, engine temperature's going to run a little cooler in all likelihood, especially in the right. winter months, unless you're going to change it back. And you know, you're going to affect fuel economy emissions. And in time, over time, you'll start to carbon up and coke up the intake valves and the tops of the pistons, and that'll create another problem. So uh, okay. I, I've got to tell you, first things first, put the right thermostat back in the car, in the truck, all right? Okay. Now, you know, do we, you know, if we diagnose this as just a pure cooling system problem, I don't think you have one because, you know, you're saying you went, if I heard you right, you went 80, 90 miles without the trailer on and the truck runs normal temp, right? Yes, right. So, you know, then the next step is what can we do to the cooling system? It, it sounds like the numbers you're, you're giving me that the gross vehicle weight rating is capable, right? Did I hear it correctly? The truck's rated for yeah. 10.5 and the trailer's 10.2 and a combined weight of 16,000 and so on. Yeah, and that's gross weight on the trailer, right. and I had empty tanks. I really don't think it weighed that much, but like I said, I haven't weighed the trailer. Right, so, so it sounds like you're close. So then the question becomes, do we have a marginal radiator? You know, how big is the radiator? Do we have an optional radiator we can put in this? You know, surely it's cheaper to change a radiator than a vehicle, especially something of this stature. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. I, I can tell you from experience, having just gone through this, it's about $45,000 to go out and replace a 2500 Chevy today. So, yep. y you know, it's a $50,000 investment by the time you're done with running boards, stereo, and all the bells and whistles. So, you know, how many miles are on this truck, Paul? About 153,000. So, you know, original radiator, original cooling system components uh, ever changed? Uh, I don't believe the radiator's been changed. Um, the fan clutch and the and the thermostat and the water pump have been changed. Okay. I don't believe it's still the original radiator. Okay, so then the next question is, is it a single-row radiator? Is it a double-row radiator? They, they, they used to, and on certain ones you can still get larger-capacity radiators. And perhaps this is a radiator change. 
Um, you know, and maybe it's just as simple as that. There's no, I have to ask the silly questions, there's no restrictions around the grill area. Um, the truck was never in an accident. It probably has all its body panels in place to direct air across yeah. the radiator correctly and so forth. I mean, everything looks right. Yeah. I bought it used about in uh, 09, so it right. Seven years, I didn't have it. I'm not sure. Right. But, but yeah, it's, it's everything's there. I mean, listen, a 4L80E is a, a beefy trans. The 410 rear is likely the big axle. It's a 2500. I think it's worth the gamble from my seat here that I would start to look, is there a bigger radiator you can put into this and okay. work it from there? Um, the other possibility is, can you put an auxiliary trans cooler on it? So that, that was one of the questions that I had. Yeah. I, it does not have one now. Right. So. And if you put a, you know, or if you take the trans cooler out of the radiator, you'd have to put a big enough one on rated to cool the trans such that, you know, because what you're doing is you're, t it's probably a case that the radiator is being superheated by the trans fluid because you're towing mm -hmm. and you're working it harder. So yep. maybe we add an auxiliary trans cooler, keep the one in the radiator where it is, put a new radiator in it with bigger capacity, an auxiliary trans cooler in addition to the one in the tr radiator, tow it and see what happens. It sounds like that's right. more of the issue, and uh, it's going to be a cheaper experiment than trying to convince your better half. I need a new truck. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah you know. it sounds like it's worth uh, I, I I wasn't sure if it's worth keeping yeah. trying, but it sounds like it's... Like you've been talking about the dollars, I think it probably is worth right. at least it's, 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 try, it's, trying to it's, be it's, it's worth a thousand dollar experiment, brother. And then after that, sell the trailer and the truck and take your better half, go to the islands and um, toss a few back and relax and uh, just take it easy and say, well, we tried. But uh, by all means, go at it that way. Let us know what happens. I'm running Andy the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini, the car doctor. Quick piece of email. Ron, a friend of mine has a 2010 Hyundai Sonata with 100,000 miles on it, and the transmission is starting to slip. What would you recommend aside from replacing the trans? Fluid change, any type of additive that can be purchased? Thanks very much. Have a happy holiday, Glenn. You know, Glenn, the problem is when the, when the, when the trans starts to slip, it's, it's really only a few things you can do. It's going to be a case of, and the, the argument here becomes, before you change the fluid, was the fluid ever changed? At 100,000 miles, or you know, or is this a case of well, we drove the car for the it was trans fluid should last the lifetime or the lifetime of the trans, which was a hundred thousand miles, and now it's time to put a trans in the car. So you know, you can check fluid level, you can change trans fluid. If there's a filter on this Sonata, which I don't think it's accessible, um, you can you know check a filter. Is the trans making any funny whining sounds? Is whining sounds usually a sign of a clogged uh, trans filter? But short of that. You know, you can try the additive thing. There are different additives out there. Uh, Lucas makes a trans additive that's been known to work from time to time, but the problem becomes you're, you're kind of, you've got mechanical issues. All right, I'll say it like this. You've got mechanical issues that have already happened and starting to manifest and grow. The trans is starting to slip. So the question becomes, how bad do you want to band-aid this trans? And I say that in the sense of, how far from home are you with this trans? If this is a commuter vehicle and you're traveling a hundred miles round trip every day, you could be at the far end of the hundred mile trip and the trans gives up and it's a long walk home or a long tow. If it's a five mile a day car back and forth down seven blocks and make a right, you know what? An additive, a fluid change, nursing it along until you can get a replacement or possibly put a trans in it, that makes sense. So be cautious how you 
medicate this one. We'll say it like that. Be cautious how you and what you do as far as just replacing fluid and additives and so on and so forth. Because um, as the car doctor always says, the road is a very unforgiving place. So uh, you don't want to get stuck out there. Hey, that wraps up this hour of the car doctor. I want to thank you for stopping by. I'm Ron Anini and the car doctor. Till the next time, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.